Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here and to welcome a guest who isn't new to the show. He is uh, here today for the third time. The last time he spoke to us was in 2020, is summer there. We were talking about different breathing exercises and breath work in general. Today we reconnected because we see certain patterns in the world around us busyness, stress, anxiety, depression. Sorry, it sounds very, very gloomy, but it's important that we talk about these topics as well. And uh, I'm sharing it in the actual podcast recording with some of the patterns um, that I'm hearing about is, you know, higher pressure, the goals are increasing in particular, turnover and profit goals. However, there are loads of uh, recruitment freezes, redundancies that we hear about and the people who come to me say I'm exhausted and I ask myself on a daily basis why am I doing this and it has a real negative impact on the people around me often it's the family friends and we actually don't want to be like this and one particular feedback that I received from somebody was he said to me I don't recognize the person that I have become That was for me a moment that reminded me of myself a few years ago and I felt sad and I felt disappointed in that moment and I thought, man, there needs to be something we've got to do. In my day-to-day -day work, I do my best to support individuals who feel this way and want to create more energy, more excitement about their life overall, but in particular, showing up as better leaders. And Dave is doing that as well in a very different way because his expertise is so different. He's doing an amazing job there. For those who remember it, you know that um, Dave is a coach and an educator. Maybe some of you haven't met Dave yet, so it's a wonderful introduction to him. He's teaching and sharing practices that have played crucial on his own research to enhance both his physical and mental health. And much of his work centers around stress and anxiety relief, working with groups and individuals. And he is actually qualified in clinical hypnotherapy, NLP, breathwork, and flow state practice. And he is learning on a day-to-day -day basis and enhancing his knowledge in this field. I actually asked him one question, and that is, how often do you literally have to pull yourself back out of the flow state because you get so encompassed in flow that you're losing track of time and actually everything else that you were wanting to do. He said, all the time. So he is the master of moving into flow. And he is going to share a few top tips and insights into his routine, what helps him on a daily basis. We are going to be talking about somatic leadership and how listening to our body and the body uh, signals can really help us become aware of our needs. He's also sharing a few top tips that help us understand that it doesn't require a lot of time to get back into a state where we feel calm and 
centered and present in the moment, even if we have encountered a huge level of stress and perhaps even anxiety in that moment. And then we are talking about some of the differences women may experience in comparison to men in terms of that pressure, that level of anxiety. And we will be talking about sleep as well, not just why sleep is so important, but how we can enter kind of state of sleep where we feel truly fresh and recovered the next day. And so many other topics we are going to be touching upon, but Dave is definitely the best person to talk about it. So enjoy this episode and let us know what you made of it um, afterwards by simply sharing your feedback on Apple Podcast with us. So thank you so much for listening and I speak to you again in a moment. Man, I'm third time lucky here today with Dave Florence. Hello, welcome back. Hello. Yes, it's so good to be here. I love I love chatting to you. Yeah, me too. And actually, we had to uh, stop ourselves from chatting away before I hit the record button already. And that's, that's a bit of the nature that we have. We start chatting, we find a lot of commonalities and interesting topics, and then kind of no one can stop us. Mm, and, and I attempt my German. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, kind of well. <laughs> yeah. But we can practice a yes. little bit more. <laughs> we'll move on from that, I think. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> stick to English. Or um, for me, the very German kind of English. I just asked you, am I your first meeting or call for today? And he said, yes, you are. And I was kind of a bit surprised because last time you shared with me that sometimes you start meetings at 6.30, right? Sometimes six. Yeah, I mean, depending on the client. But I mean, of the one-to-one clients that I have, quite a lot of them are, you know, CEOs or, or, or people are just used to getting up blooming early to get, yeah. to get their job done. And therefore, if they if they want to squeeze in a session with me, <laughs> they've got to they've got to have it early, which I'm totally cool with because I do wake up about four or five in the morning. So um, uh, you may as well, you know, book a slot then because by then I would have done my full routine and totally wired and ready to go. So, so let's talk a little bit about your routine. The last time we spoke was in July 2020. And we're, we're talking about breath work, for example. But we've never really dived into your routine and what it looks like from getting up in the morning till going to bed. So sh- share a little bit with us. Yeah, or give us some insights into your routine. Yeah, so a lot of it has remained the same. And that's how I've gone about this whole journey, really, that I have continued to research methods to enhance my body and mind. If I discover a practice that works for me, then I keep it, obviously, up until the point when I no longer think it serves me. But there are elements of my morning routine that have been with me since since the beginning of this journey. And, and the breath work is absolutely one of them, of course. And the kind of breath work I do in the morning is quite energetic, deliberately so. And I've done videos before about how I ride the wave of neurochemicals. And and to a certain extent, when I reflect on that, I realize that sometimes I'm going too far with it because I get very excitable. So if, for example, if you think I roll out of bed and I immediately move into a slow movement flow, that's quite often the Tibetan rites, which are the five Tibetan rites. I, I recommend them to all of my clients because they're so easy to do, easy to remember. You don't need to have practiced yoga before. And they're five simple moves and you breathe through them. And this, this really helps. So 
you, you know, you've been laying prone, you've been laying on your back or your side for the last hopefully eight hours, because obviously, ideally, that's what you want seven or eight hours of sleep. You have had a body that would have been running a lot on melatonin, that that wonderful uh, chemical that's produced in order to aid sleep. By the way, melatonin, what we now realize is, and hence why you can get melatonin supplements, is that it is absolutely crucial for your health. But we'll come to that maybe on another on another subject. And by the way, salt uh, and magnesium in particular aids the regulation of melatonin. So if you're not taking magnesium at the moment, then I would highly recommend that you do that because that will aid your production of melatonin. But anyway, you wake up, you've been having this flooding of melatonin and your body now realizes, okay, now we need to change the neurochemical flow from, uh, from melatonin to serotonin. But you're also just coming out of that sleep state. So towards the end of your sleep state, you're in theta brain waves. And these theta brain waves are the same brain waves that are present when you go into sleep. So you're in this kind of nice floaty state. You don't want to do anything too jarring. And, and as we know, you know, if somebody wakes you up, and us parents know what this feels like, <laughs> you get woken up at the wrong time, it's yeah. not a nice feeling. And you're almost out of it, aren't you? You're trying to shake your head and slap yourself in the face because you realize nothing's working. And that's because, of course, all the, uh, the, the chemicals that are needed to keep us in that sleep state are not the ones you want when your baby's crying or when uh, somebody's ill or what, you know, if there's an emergency. Hence why, of course, cold water is, is the perfect way of <laughs> sorting that out. But of course, you don't really want to do that when you wake up. You want to ease into the day. You don't want a shock to the system. So the movement is perfect. And by breathing through that movement, you can start moving that oxygen around the body, developing a good balance between your carbon dioxide and the oxygen. So I move then from the movement flow into some breath work that starts off quite gentle, but then is a little bit more energetic. And this is that pranayama derived breath work that is akin to uh, the Wim Hof method, which is very popular now, but also Soma breath uh, that I also do. And after that, usually it's stepping into the cold shower. You'll note what well, you may not know the listeners because they may not know typically what my voice sounds like, but I do have a slight sort of almost semi baritone sound to my voice at the moment because the last week, I caught a cold from my son, managed to get rid of most of the symptoms apart from this sort of throatiness. So uh, I'm pretty good when it comes to mild colds, if ever I catch them. And I've only recently discovered I've got a sauna two minutes away as well, which I've made use of. So I could get rid of most of the horrible symptoms, but there was still this kind of resulting Thing. So anyway, the point being, I wanted to be careful about the cold shower. And I think this is one of the things people need to be wary of. Cold showers are amazing. Yes, they are brilliant at healing. They're brilliant at waking you up. They're great at producing dopamine that lasts for three hours afterwards. But if, of course, you are ill, you do need to be careful and you've got to really feel into it. Uh, you know, listen to your body. Is it worth me doing that cold shower? So you, you do need to sort of be careful. And then after the cold shower, if that wasn't enough, I then have a very strong black coffee. <laughs> and I should also add, <laughs> I sit in front of one of these, usually for about 20 minutes, half an hour. And quite often I'm doing more breath work or meditation. Or this morning I was, I did 30 minutes of OM. So literally just standing, sitting there in front of this. What is it? Is it an infrared light or? So... Oh, yeah, yeah, not infrared, 
uh, but it's a frequency just below infrared, 632 hertz. So it's called, yeah, so it's red light therapy, absolutely amazing at reducing inflammation. People often use it for removing scarring. If you've had an operation, it's amazing. Uh, it's sort of speeding up the healing process. It aids sleep as well. There's loads of research at the moment, and there are certain bits of the research that are now out that indicate that most of what I've just said there absolutely has been you know, quantified and, and uh, proven. But there are other claims as well. One of those around uh, improving your eyesight, for example. So it seems strange, but you can stare at that. You could, you could have that shining on your body all day and it wouldn't do you any harm. It's not like UVB mm -hmm. from the sun. But anyway, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice addition to my morning routine. But because I have so many things in my morning routine, if I combine that with something else, then I'm not wasting time. You know, I bet you wish you hadn't asked now. <laughs> no, no, no. Where, where are we time-wise? You get up at four, five o'clock in the morning. So you talked about 30 minutes for um and um the light. What about everything else? Mm. How long does it take? So the oming is not necessarily something I do every day, but it, it felt like the right thing to do today. And the way I do the arm is by breaking it up into three component parts. So you've got the R, the R, and then the U, and then the M. And then you focus the R on the belly, and then the U in the chest, which is why I really wanted to do it today. And then the M, when you, when you M, you can feel it, you know, resonating and, and vibrating in your mind, in your head. So in answer to your question, normally it's about an hour, I suppose. My full okay. routine is about an hour, yeah. But then there'll be other days when I know I've got something on or if um, I've got a dash, then I'll play around with that routine and just do what feels right at that moment. You know, in other words, is my back stiff from doing the gardening that I do? You know, on Friday, I was lifting a whole load of stones up a hill and I definitely felt my back really stiff on Saturday morning. So I did more things to aid that. Maybe this is an, a, a, as a final point. I think if you're too rigid with any kind of routine you start to lose the benefits and also you start seeing parts of it as more like a chore and if ever you have that psychological association with anything in your routine you know that just around the corner is you giving up you've got to figure out a way of building this stuff into your life so that it just simply becomes a part of you uh, you know this is what I've learned over the years that you you want this to be your modus operandi. You want this or modus vivendi, you know, the way you uh, uh, move through this life. You want this to be you without thought, without any preconceived ideas about why you're doing it. It is just mm -hmm. what I do in the same way that that's why I brush my teeth. Yeah. I don't think about it before I do it. I just do it. Yeah. And I think that's the goal people need to get to when it comes to all of these different methods and techniques. Now, you mentioned quite a few times I know when something works and I've tried quite a lot and realized what works for me, what doesn't work for me. You also highlighted that you felt unwell, so the cold shower might not have been the best idea on one specific day. And this somatic leadership, this really listening into your body and what's going on there came out for me very strongly here. What I wonder is, how do you know or notice in your body as to whether something works or something doesn't work? Probably a very obvious question, but I don't think everybody is that tuned into their bodies. No, so not. it would be wonderful just to hear a few insights from you. Yeah. So there isn't a technique that brings you to that point. 
it's not one thing. It's a bit mm -hmm. like, you know, when people um, recently have been talking about the Wim Hof method and, and for a while people were saying, oh, it's the absolute panacea, it cures all. And of course it doesn't. There isn't one thing that does that. And when it comes to listening to your body, it's more about your intention about why you're doing these practices. Because if all you're doing is going through the motions of doing these practices in the hope that they're going to improve your physiology, your psychology, then you're going to be losing many of the benefits because your intention is, is wrong. So a lot of this is about going through your life by tapping into your senses, you know, in the same way that you can turn a normal walk in the countryside into much more than just a walk by tuning in to what it feels like, what you can hear, what you can touch, what you, you know, what can you smell, etc. And that's kind of the trick to this whole listening to your body. The more you do these practices in a sensory based or from a sensory based perspective, the more you feel into these practices rather than, as I say, just going through the motions. Oh, I've got five minutes. I'll quickly do this. I'm only doing it because I know it will do some good, but you're not really sort of tuning in and being present with them. The more you become present with these practices, the more you're going to understand and, and listen to the messages from the body. So there isn't, as I said, there isn't one thing that will switch on your ability to listen to those messages. But the more you, um, as I said, uh, allow yourself to be present with them and to really feel into them, the more you're going to get that uh, response that you understand later on from, for example, if you were practicing fasting, initially when you're fasting, that first rumble in your tummy will send a message to your brain that you're hungry because your whole body is used to that message and associating that message with it meaning that you need to eat food. And that's one of the things that you start to practice when you're fasting is to ignore those messages. Those initial messages you know are not right. They're, they're incorrect and they're associative messages in the same way that smoking a cigarette is associate, associative to a cigarette smoker's mind in that their mind tells them that this action is relaxing them. But of course it isn't, it's doing exactly the opposite. It's just a, a psychological association. So I guess in part, it's sort of uh, turning off the negative associations that we develop over time and building and developing the positive associations uh, to these messages. Hopefully that answers the question, but there isn't, yeah, there isn't really one thing. It's more about how you go about this life and tune into it that will enable you to eventually understand and feel. Well, well, it does somewhat answer the question. I come back to the question because it was it related to you. So what are the signals your body sends you so that you know, oh, yeah, this method actually works for me. So what is it very personally for you? Okay. So let me take, for example... Shall I give you uh, an example of something that has worked and something that hasn't? Mm -hmm. One that hasn't is a really easy one in that I try various supplements all the time. I like to experiment with supplementation. And usually that's pretty quick and easy to determine whether that is serving you or not. Because quite often it will be a resulting effect on the mind as in, oh, okay, I'm not able to function the way I could or I'm feeling a bit queasy MCT oil, for example, is something that I was experimenting with in my coffee. And, and that ended up it, it, with a number of weeks of me being totally out of it and, and really not being able to function. So, you know, eventually I was able to listen to that and change. But when it comes to the positive 
things that work for me. Uh, this might frustrate you a little bit, I realize, but there isn't one specific feeling or message that tells me that this is right. It is more and more of an overall feeling. And that's really hard to describe because it isn't like there is a, a, a sort of an audible message in my mind, say, or there isn't, there isn't this one specific feeling. Although, having said that, there are various kinesiology type uh, muscle testing techniques that you can do, uh, which I don't do enough of. And that's, that's kind of reminded me that perhaps that's something else to start looking at. But there are muscle testing techniques that will allow you to feel into what's right and what's wrong. And that's, that's a real physiological response in the body that you can tap into that will give you the answer. Pretty much, a, a, you know, 100% accuracy, it can be, if, you, if you're really good at it, at telling you whether this food is worth eating or not, or whether this practice is worth doing or not. But in answer to your question, I think, yeah, there isn't one. There isn't one feeling. There isn't one message. It is more of an overall sensation of this feels right rather than a sort of a specific message. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, for example, a huge fan of melatonin, A, because I love sleeping. So I love to bring sleep hormone out early on in the day. Also, it makes me feel far more relaxed. Overall, I feel better in my body. So in the evening, approximately an hour before I go to bed, I am taking melatonin. And when I forget about it, which doesn't happen often, but let's say once a quarter, my sleep quality changes right away. I struggle to fall asleep or take me a little bit longer and it's a bit more disturbed-ish. And the next morning, I just don't feel as fresh. And that even with a little child at home, but still. And it has a very positive impact on me. But but that's my personal opinion, my very personal view. But um, it was important for me just to notice as well as to whether something changes or what it is, what am I experiencing and so on and so forth. But that's it, isn't it? You've just hit the nail on the head. It's a sort of a willingness to notice. Mm -hmm. Most people are being dragged through life because especially parents and working parents, mm-hmm. uh, there's just so much going on in your life. It's very hard to step back and step out of it and go, mm-hmm. okay, where am I right now? How am I feeling into this? Um, let's, let's, let's really experience the now, the present, you know, as, as Eckhart Tolle will, will describe it. You know, most people don't do that because they don't think they've got the time to do it. Yeah. So it becomes, so in, the only way you have, a t- you have time for that is to practice it. Uh, because we all have time we just we have the perception we don't have time but we all have time to be in the present um so what you've just described there yeah is this willingness therefore which is an understandable rational willingness i want to improve my sleep i know that sleep is of all the biohacks out there you know and i i do step into that world the biohacking world diy bio, biology the biggest thing that that the, that comes out of biohacking is all the experts say above anything else. Yes, you could supplement with this, you could exercise by doing this, you could do this breath work, but above anything else, optimize your sleep. It is the greatest healer of all things. And if your sleep is out of whack, not only do you notice it, but actually long-term, you're gonna be experiencing some pretty nasty physiological and psychological effects. So the fact that you're supplementing with melatonin is brilliant. It's just another hack, isn't it really? And I think there will be many women, and I say women more than men, because women do suffer poor sleep more than men. I think there'll be many women resonating with that. You know, the female body is just far more complicated, let's face it, than the male body. 
and it, it's often the sort of the hormonal changes and the extra neurochemicals and things like that that affect sleep yeah. plus also i think for women in particular there, there's a lot more it's easier for a man to be in flow and and maybe there's an evolutionary reason for this in other words the basic if we if we look back at our sort of e evolutionary path a man's role way back when we were fighting saber-toothed tigers was exactly that it wasn't really much more to it than that was there so maybe there was this mechanism created in our in our body that enabled us to do that really well in other words go out find food hopefully not die whilst doing it come back to the tribe and then know that the food's going to be cooked that you're going to have the love of the tribe around you and that was pretty much it there wasn't really much more to your role but unfortunately or fortunately for for a woman there was much more and always has been much more to that you know their role was much more than looking after the tribe it was you know thinking about the future about how they were going to exist how the children were going to coexist in the tribe and and i i do wonder you know is that an unfortunate evolutionary mechanism that women have been left with where they can't or they find it harder to be in the now because they are thinking about creating this future yeah. for the family I don't know maybe I'm thinking too much about it but no no I find it interesting I had it on my list for you actually to discuss differences there between men and women so let's dive a little bit deeper into it. and what you've just described is kind of my daily conversation here with my husband where he says oh you need to be more here in the now and why do you worry so much and so on and I'm like it's not that easy to switch it off I am aware of things needing to change I would love to be more present However, the mental load, and I've read quite a bit about the female mental load that you don't see. We have physical work we can do, obviously, right? We have a lot of cognitive work we can do, but no one is speaking about the actual mental load, what you just described, all the time having those worries, thinking about, are the children okay? Have I packed everything for the next day in school? Um, have we set everything up for the next holiday? Yada, 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 there's so much. And it's hard to let go of it because we are wired literally to be or to think that way. It doesn't mean we can't change it. But I find that it's very hard to be told, yeah, you just need to let go of it. It's yeah. another practice yeah. that's required to get into a different habit. Yeah. And, to do it. and I think from an evolution perspective, well, this inner worry, we carry the babies, right? And even for, for women who don't have children, choose not to have children, they still are wired to probably give birth. So having those worries, those concerns about others, having some sort of a different emotional connection, that's there. So it, we can't just switch it off. Yeah. Right. And I think in the same way that women would find that harder than men, there's a real reason why men struggle in this modern world in that men rightly or wrongly take on a lot more than they used to, mm. you know, in the role of father, yeah. because in my parents' age, the role of father was quite often for most men, simply bringing home the bacon. There wasn't really much else that they had in their responsibility. Now it's much more than that. And I think that's partly why men, struggle and you can understand why therefore women would get frustrated at that in other words if i can do it why can't you and right absolutely i agree but i do wonder is there some kind of 
evolutionary mechanism that holds a man back and it means that they're less capable of doing it. And I do think they are less capable. You know, we, we know that the corpus callosum, the interconnecting tube between the right and left hemisphere in the, in the female brain is thicker than the male brain. And that makes me think, well, does that mean therefore that they are, women are better at multitasking? You know, is that therefore the medical absolute proof that women are better at it? Uh, obviously what we do know now is that nobody's good at multitasking. <laughs> and it is the, the last thing we should try and do. It's really, really complicated for our brain, but I suppose some people can create the impression that they're better at it. So I, I don't know, you know, I, and I, do, I think this is where there needs to be this we're sort of going off track here a little bit, but there needs to be this level of understanding, this willingness from both the men and women to understand each other more, to be empathetic to each other's needs, to understand why some things are a struggle. And therefore, because we both know that, let's build in some kind of mitigating process protocol method or something that helps us both because <laughs> the problem with parenting and the problem with parenting and relationships is that it takes a really big toll on the relationship and things can go sour very quickly unless both parties are willing intentionally to make things work and therefore the only way you can do that is to understand that there is a significant difference between both men and women and uh you know you, you Again, it's sort of this intentional willingness, therefore, to understand each other, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, what What you described about men taking over, you know, different parts of perhaps traditionally more female roles nowadays mm. as well, which I love seeing uh, as well, how many men are passionate about doing it as well. Yeah, totally. uh, it's, it's wonderful. I see a similar pattern in a lot of women, in particular the women I am supporting in my day-to-day -day work, who take over a lot of the traditionally men approaches and way of being and living. I need to be strong. I need to bring home the bacon. Yeah. I can be in the CEO role. And absolutely you can. There is no doubt where we probably, and I'm generalizing a lot here, I understand that, but where we need to be mindful as well as to still be able to ask for help. And, you know, to, to have those open conversations with men uh, about it. And there are so many, coming back to your topic, hormones and well-being in general, there are so many wonderful initiatives I see in organizations at the moment as well. Let it be raising awareness about hormonal changes in men and women, like menopause and so on. Talking about perhaps depression, Right. There are loads of statistics out there of men, uh, suicide rates, depression, that we aren't even aware of because a lot of men are not talking openly about it. And that those topics now enter the workforce as well and are being discussed in order to raise more awareness and therefore help, I think is, is very wonderful too. Definitely. Well, so I think that really increased the understanding. Yeah, I, I think what there will be, say 10, 20 years time will be this better understanding around all of our psychological needs if you think about a women's a woman's cycle for example you know the monthly cycle mm. there's a point at which their mind and body's totally in tune they're full of energy and they're really good at getting stuff done mm. but then there's another point in the cycle in fact it's broken into four isn't it but there's another point in the cycle where that's exactly the opposite and they need to go back in the cave and rest you know hide under the covers and and heal you know, it, and I'm sort of uh, perhaps exaggerating there, but it, it's, I would imagine that's what it feels like. 
And maybe, you know, in the workplace, if there was that level of understanding and acceptance, that's the key to it, acceptance from all parties that therefore let's work to each other's strengths. Right. Okay. That's your time now, right now in this month when you are full on and we can chuck loads of projects at Mm -hmm. you. But I realize now two, three weeks down the line, we can't do that, but that's cool because we know that a week after we can again. And then for men as well, uh, you know, in the, the same way that our energetic levels can change, not to this level or same degree as women, but maybe through acceptance and understanding of our needs, there could be a better way of working that would enable everybody to work to their strengths when they are full of energy. And also, I suppose, when it comes, as you say, to the psychological impact of work, if we are better at saying to our boss and that there's a level of trust between both parties that I'm really sorry, but today I'm not in it. I I want to do my best that I possibly can, but my head's not there. I want to complete this project and I'm going to complete it, but please just allow me a few more hours to get it done because I can't, I can't do it. And if we were able to say those sorts of things, knowing that our boss or, you know, isn't going to berate us for doing it and we're not going to berate ourselves as well. That's key to it, isn't it? Then I wonder, would the flow of work be improved? Because people are, unfortunately, because we don't still have that in most working practices, people are pushing through, forcing it. And that's when we get ill. And that's when we get really ill as well. We keep doing it. I was just about to say you would actually have the chance to improve those periods of absence. Because mm. you give more flexibility. And as you said, you have the open conversation about it to find a less rigid way. It's just acceptance, isn't it? Yeah. That we're all different, not just because we're men or women, uh, but we are all different. And if we, it's almost like maybe when you start your job, we should have this complete overall holistic test done on every employee. I'm, I, I don't think it's possible, but it'd be great <laughs> if it was. Where out of it, at the end of the test, it says, right, at this point, you have clear head, loads of energy. By the way, there's some things missing in your physiology that if you supplement, you're going to be feeling a lot better. And, you know, all those sorts of things. It's a complete overhaul test to get the most out of you. You know, yes, as an employee, but as a human being as well. In other words, it will benefit you at work, but it will benefit in every facet of your life as well. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was possible? Oh, um, I mean, on the one hand, it sounds very sci-fi to me. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh, not sure. I'm seeing all of these pipes coming down and so on. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. my imagination. Yeah. On the other hand, now we are not talking anymore or only talking about the person as a whole you know a whole personal assessment we're actually doing it and we're seeing the human being with all their talents with their challenges and um, find a way to work optimally together I mean that's pretty brilliant and that but that requires this openness to safety the trust yeah yeah and and not having this division between oh that's work and that's your personal life yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about it, our school system that's still in this country terrible. Well, no, it's not terrible. It's good. But the problem is it's um, it's still trying to churn out human beings to fit the industrial world when we just wanted people to work in a supply line, you know, uh, in factories when, you know, it's, it, the school system is still, you know, very Victorian in its in its design. Uh, obviously, as parents, you see that more now. But because the working world has changed significantly, we don't need that now. It's not about churning out robots to to do a specific job that they'll do for the rest of their life. The working world is very different. And and when our children, yours and mine, 
actually hit the working world, it's going to be very, very different. So there has to be some changes that that are built in that will optimise our bodies and mind for a different way of working. So what, from your perspective, is needed in school? What should be taught? How does the education need to change? Yeah, I think so. And there are elements of things like the Steiner system, which would benefit, I think. And it would it would require a complete overhaul, which is why I can see things aren't going to change for <laughs> for the foreseeable future. If you if you look at, you know, you take a cross section of a, a, a normal standard school class, half the children will learn one way, half will learn the other. But unfortunately, the way the system works is that only the ones that learn in one particular way will benefit from that class. The others, unfortunately, are just going to be sitting there going, uh, can you just show me how you do that? But of course, you know, there won't be that opportunity for them to to see that practice in a way that they understand it you know and there are certain school systems there's certain methods of teaching children where uh it brings out the best in them you know to put it simply uh because there's an understanding about how that child receives information but also i think you know one of the biggest problems we have in this country is that there's not enough in the early years there's not enough focus around play it's, it's all about even, you know, at a ridiculously young age of, you know, five years old, it's all about um, getting your child to sit up straight so they can listen yeah. to the teacher that's standing at a board all day. Is that really what we want? And is that really what children need? Better, isn't it, that they actually go outside for six hours, play, learning in nature, touching the trees, um, learning how to collaborate with other children, friends, learning how to build friendships, all those sorts of things are far more important now. When you think about the working world and emotional intelligence, you know, there's a lot of talk about that now because we've almost had to develop that as a practice in the working world because we didn't have it before. It was all about IQ. Whereas actually, if you're a leader, for example, which taps in neatly to your field really, doesn't it? It's much more about EQ, surely. Yeah, absolutely. and that we're not we're not fostering and developing that really in our school system as much as we should. A friend of mine actually, her son went to school in the early years that you just described. Mm. Loads of outdoorsy stuff. We spend time with the animals there, see you know how their day to day looks like, yeah. and um, connect with one another. And and I said to her right away, oh, my God, that's what I want for our little one. That's perfect. And coming back to your key uh, area of expertise, oxygen, breathing it in, breathing it out, socializing, connecting with one another, speaking, communicating, not just looking at our devices, um, for example. And you can't avoid that, but bring in something that balances that experience of digitalization out a little bit more yeah. and experience being present in that moment. And it's missing in so many ways. And then you mentioned a really important point early on, and that is this, we don't want things to feel like a chore. Mm. We want to do certain things because they feel like a benefit to us. We notice actually it feels good. And if we approach school, education, work, whatever it is in a more playful slash creative way, and we figure out what is working for us, wow what could be the benefits of that yeah exactly and in fact that, that um, neatly taps into some of the stuff that i teach yeah, especially you know parents have this incredible opportunity that they often miss and that is 
because they've been working so hard, they miss out on the opportunity of being in the present and they have a doorway into the present through their child. You enter their world and you can do that very easily. For me, it's often Lego with my son, for example. You know, daddy, should we play with a Lego? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, if he was to say, can we play with some other toys? I find that harder because his world is imaginary and, and therefore I find it hard to imagine his imaginary world. But Lego is amazing. We could spend two hours doing that together and we won't probably speak to each other, but beyond just building these creations. This, by the way, is, has entered our life. And um, this is amazing. And Lucky, my son and I spent a couple of weeks learning how to solve the Rubik's Cube. And now it's become a real thing. You know, it's just a time, therefore, between he and I when we connect. Uh, and he's twice as fast as I am at, at solving this. Um, as in, you know, he's, he's, he's ready at the stopwatch now. Come on, Daddy, let's have a competition. I'm going, okay, you're going to win. <laughs> but okay, let's do it. But it's brilliant. And this, this uh, by the way, I often teach them or advise my clients to get one of these as well. Because once you, when you learn how to solve it, it becomes this little mini challenge. And that little mini challenge you can have on your desk. And if you've been working away for an hour, you need to step away from the computer anyway. And I often say, you know, move more, breathe more, do something that gets you away from the desk, getting the blood and oxygen moving around the body. But equally, you could spend a minute just giving yourself a, uh, a mental challenge, a bit of mental fitness that takes you out of the project that you're working on at work. Mm -hmm. So that when you do go back to your project, it's almost like you're, you know, your brain has, been, has had a break, therefore, and you, you've had a bit of a refresher in order to then crack on with your work again. So, you know, these, these things that I'm so grateful, they've been around 40 years and they've now become a real thing, as I've discovered, are amazing. And there's I didn't realise. Yeah. I remember them from my childhood, um, but I didn't realize they have become a real thing again. I love it that it oh, is the case. Yeah, I mean, nutty thing, as in the world record for solving this is 4.57 seconds. What? I can do it in, as Lockie rejoiced yesterday, he said, Daddy, you beat your record. So I can do it in two minutes and 50 seconds, which for me is fast. He can do it one minute and whatever, one minute and 10 seconds. So he's he's getting quicker and quicker. But, you know, it's, these little mental challenges, It's it, so if we think about flow and flow states, uh, one of the things that I teach, Mihai mm. uh, Csikszentmihalyi, who, who came up with this whole idea of, of flow states, one of the, 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 the ideas around achieving flow is around these balanced challenges and that's where you go about intentionally doing a challenge that you know that your skill level is just about capable you know in your mind you're thinking i should be able to do that yeah but you also want to retain the interest in it as well so it's doing something that you know you will enjoy the challenge so that it doesn't become overwhelming and it, you don't become bored by doing it and so these little challenges, you know, you build them into your life. It doesn't matter whether they're silly challenges. It could be physical challenges, like, for example, the bring Sally up push-up challenge, where for three and a half minutes you're doing push-ups. It's really, really hard. But it's a, a physical challenge that, you know, most people can think, if I can do a few push-ups, I should one day be able to complete that. And it just, and even a physical challenge becomes a mental challenge in, in itself. But these little challenges are just wonderful because they typically bring you into the present because you need to pour all of your focus and energy into it. So it becomes another doorway then into 
mindful practice, being in the moment, which is, again, uh, you know, a great way of just giving your mind a break from what you were doing previously. Yeah. And, and I'm coming back to the flow state. I have it here on my list as well. But I want to combine it with some of the clients you support because <laughs> mm. you described some of them early on. People who have a very busy, hectic lifestyle who want to talk to you early in the morning so they can get on with their day. So the way I picture it now, and I might be completely wrong, is they indeed have full-on days, full-on weeks. And the only way to build in this time for their coaching to focus on themselves and to be more centered is in those early hours in the day. So I do wonder how they can help themselves, because some of those listeners are those busy leaders, in order to get more often into the flow state and build a habit around it as well. Yeah. So one of the things that I will bring into their life very early on is this whole idea that you've got to break your day up. At the moment, you think you don't have any time. And that's why you're squeezing me in at six o'clock in the morning. Mm. You're thinking, well, I've got emails to do. I've got calls every hour, yada, yada, yada. But actually, if you thought if you were able to see through all of that, you will find time. And it's not like you need half an hour here, half an hour there. Actually, some practices you can do that will take you one minute. But it's the regularity of those practices that through a compound effect, a cumulative effect will have a profound difference. So these busy people that we all believe we are, are fully capable of building these practices into your life. But one thing you can do is use these horrible things, technology, download something called Mindfulness Bell. It can be anything to be honest. I like Mindfulness Bell, it's a free app and you can set it to go off Uh, at intervals throughout the day and you just get this very gentle buddhist sounding bell so therefore it's not it's not anything that over time you'll get annoyed by because of the sound it's not a grating sound it's a very soothing bell what you do is you train yourself to when you hear that bell that it triggers a response and that response will be what can i do now that is in direct contrast to what i've just been doing and how much time have i got Okay, I've got five minutes to the next call. Right, okay, I'm going to stand up. And now I'm going to do a, a Qigong practice that Dave was telling me about that sort of has me uh, moving my arms and, and I can show you if you want, but it's a yeah. simple practice just to move a bit of energy around the body. Maybe when the bell goes off next time, you're thinking, well, I haven't got time to do anything. Oh no, okay, actually, I've got a minute. Right, I'm now going to do that other practice that Dave told me about that only takes a minute and it's going to totally wake me up and I'm going to feel really good in a good mental state for that next meeting. You get used to doing this, therefore, over time, breaking the day up in this fashion. And of course, some breaks will be much longer than five minutes. Let's say it's half an hour, right? Okay, you got half an hour. You don't have any excuse but to go outside. I don't care what the weather is. You're going outside. And if it's rain, brilliant. Take all your clothes off, be in the rain or, you know, okay, keep some clothes on. <laughs> you know, um, if it's snowing, fantastic. Get out there, roll around in it. Experience the world, experience the cold, experience extremes in temperature. All of those are routes to finding flow because it's all about making use of your body in the way that it's meant to be used before we started to, you know, modernize life and make things supposedly easy for us that actually have made us a lot weaker and a lot less resilient. But it could be uh, mantras, it could be a ritual, it could be uh, breath work, it could be uh, some other kind of movement flow. It's the combination of these things that will 
change how your body and mind works so that naturally you start to experience these flowing moments. Because the reason why we don't experience these flow states in the main is because we're driven too much by stress hormones mm -hmm. and we're trying to rush through stuff and we're not allowing ourselves to be in the present because we've got too many things to do. <laughs> so that's the trick to it. But everybody can achieve this. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. I wonder, do we have too many things to do or are we just somehow liking to have loads on because busyness has been glorified so yes. much? Because if I look at my diary, it's always full, but it doesn't have to be. I can make different choices. Yeah. And so, I wonder as to whether it's very much self-created and self-driven as well to cover some other emotions, some other lack of such perhaps as well. So what's, yeah. what's your personal view around that? So there is a, an area of psychology I've been researching and, and practicing in around positive intelligence. And what that does is it, there's a very simple test. If you go on to Uh, positiveintelligence.com um, and it's called the saboteur psychology mm -hmm. test it only takes five minutes and through that test you'll get a basic idea of the sab of the psychologies that are saboteuring your day <laughs> so for example quite often we have the hypervigilant psychology and women in particular as well and that is due to the pressure pressures and stresses of life we start to see the world as a dangerous place especially again, when we're parents, you know, it's that sort of, oh, don't touch that. Be careful. You're getting near the road. And it's because we're in this hypervigilant state because we are believing the world is dangerous. We believe that anything could happen at any time that could injure us. So, but we can also have various other psychological states that are impeding our journey. And the whole idea of this area of psychology is that you begin to recognize these states And when you recognize them, you have this awareness of them. As soon as you become aware, you then practice something, a mindful practice that moves you into the sage psychology. In other words, the intelligent, rational bit of the brain. Again, this is something you can practice and train. And eventually you'll recognize when you're experiencing one of those uh, saboteur psychologies. For a parent, the judge psychology is, is quite typical. And that's either judging other parents or judging ourselves as a parent. That is quite a typical one that we experience. These psychologies, by the way, are all ones that would have been created when we were children, when actually they served us back then. You know, let's say, for example, you were unfortunately in a family where both parents were shouting at each other, they were angry, there was, you know, potential violence you would have developed a certain psychology to, sh to shield you away from that. Yeah. And that psychology would have served you at that time. It would have saved you from feeling uh, the feelings that would have led to uh, you having to see a psychologist or psychotherapist. 
Unfortunately, that same psychology later on when you're, in, when you're an adult no longer serves you and it becomes a, a, a thing that impedes your journey. It gets in the way all the time. So I think we have this perception, as you say, around being busy because of the psychology that we've created at some point in our life, especially if we are the go-getters in life, especially if we're heading and wanting that role of CEO. That comes with it typically a certain psychology. And that psychology enables us to reach that point. But unfortunately, it has a negative impact on other areas of our life, typically friends and family. Therefore, becoming aware of those psychologies will really help us in being more present, in finding time to be in the now. Because we can, you know, there are certain psychologies that I'm aware of, for example, that I can now say, ah, yeah. Okay, I hear you. I know who you are kind of thing. And it is that, you know, I have this internal dialogue of, yeah, I get you. I understand where that message is coming from. But actually, you're wrong, because I'm now going to do this. And I'm going to focus on all of my attention on this is what I do, for example, it's one of the techniques I teach, I pour all of my attention on moving my fingertips across the palm of my opposite hand. And I'm feeling all the ridges and the rough skin. And I'm pouring all of my attention on the sense of both fingertips and the hand and whilst I'm doing that I'm now breathing really slowly and I'm becoming aware of the cool air as it enters my nose and the warm air exiting my mouth the movement of my belly on the clothing and that uh, after two minutes of concentration and awareness will move me out of that hypervigilant state or judging state to therefore a rational sage-like psychology of right okay (laughs) I don't know why I was thinking that or rather I do, but now I know what I can do about it. Now I can move on with my day. And again, I believe it's a practice. It's a habit to create over a certain period of time, which may differ again from person to person. Yeah, but that's why you need to see people like me and not you, but anybody. In other words, we are so wrapped up and consumed by our daily life that it's very hard for us to make significant changes Mm. because those changes you do need to practice every day. Mm if you want to see lasting change. So you do need to see somebody that can give you a boot up the bum. You know, I've got a guy, he's a CEO. He wants me to send him a message and say, Oi, (laughs) have you got out of bed yet? (laughs) You know, or have you done this yet? (laughs) You know, it's always like a wagging finger. He wants me to do that. I'm, I'm totally happy being that person because he knows that if he does that over a period of time, eventually it will become a motor response and he won't need me to do that. And this brings me on, actually, just to a very quick topic around corporate workshops. Well-being has become a really big thing in the corporate world. Brilliant. That's excellent. But it's still, I think, from the perspective of, will this impact our bottom line figure? You know, it's, it's that sort yeah. of financial uh, result that we're really as CEOs looking at. They're not really genuinely interested to see whether their staff are happier in their job. They don't really care. Some will, but I don't think they care enough about their employees' mental health. So you've got these workshops now that are being brought into corporate spheres, but quite often they're piecemeal. You know, it's sort of, hey, guys, we've got a yoga instructor that's going to give you a free class. Great. Aren't we wonderful? We're giving you this. And on Friday, you can do that. But the, the intention behind it isn't there it's sort of you could do this for an hour and here's another workshop this guy will tell you all about stress and what to do about it but then that's it it's sort of like 
you've got that workshop, but there isn't any further practice, therefore, to create lasting change. So this is what's missing, I suppose, in the whole human uh, psychology at the moment, and in the working psychology, and, and not just work, but it, it's this, you can't expect a quick fix to solve things, especially now. You know, we've, we've had the last three years, four years to really remind us that most of us are not in a good state. We're not, we haven't optimized our mind and our body. We are not as resilient as we, as we were before. Therefore, if we want to do that, if we want to become stronger mentally and physically, we need to do the work and it's daily work. So if you as an employer bring in somebody that's going to give one workshop, brilliant. That's really good of you. Well done. But that's not enough. If you want to see lasting change, you need that same person to come in weekly, if not more. And you need that person to prod your employees to, to remind them. Because else they'll come out of that workshop feeling really inspired, maybe writing down one or two things that they might continue doing. But most of them will revert back to their old habits because they need a reminder in the same way as children learn their times table by going over and over and over again. We've developed these negative habits on our mind and our body that to snap out of those, we need either, you know, giving us a boot up the bum or whatever, wrapping our knuckles every day to remind us to do these things. You know what? I think the challenge starts a little bit earlier and you kind of alluded to it. Um, the challenge starts with us actually as organizations creating space yeah. for such I don't want to call it interventions, but I'm lacking the, the appropriate, most appropriate word here right now. But making a space for it and raising awareness, yeah. i.e., and that's what you said, why is it important that we start to shift our focus yeah. as well on this area? Why is it good for you? Why do we have such an interest in you? And it's not just a bottom line. It's not just that we um, please our uh, shareholders because our reputation uh, is now shifting and our overall score as an employee uh, as an employer has improved no 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 we are genuinely interested in you we get the concept of whole person and exactly. that that you bring to work and that's what i hear literally every day at the moment if people get goals receive goals they can't manage anymore they become anxious. They can't sleep anymore because they don't know how to manage it. One recruitment freeze follows the other. One redundancy follows the others. How will I as an employee say, yes, of course, I'm making space now for these wonderful workshops. No, 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 no. I will be so much under pressure just to make sure I can deliver somewhat on these goals that you won't see me in one of those wonderful workshops. Exactly. So that doesn't fit and that doesn't work. It makes me actually feel quite, quite passionate because I'm like, there's so much good stuff out there. But who is going to take up on those opportunities? Who, who's going to go there? Exactly. And in the same way that I needed a bang to the head to kickstart my journey, I think that's what most people do need. Yeah. You need this real shock. And you saw that on LinkedIn, actually, during the COVID years, you would get people... And this is why I quite, I quite like this now, actually, that on LinkedIn, people are willing to open up. Mm-hmm and tell their story. And that story sometimes can be an inspiration or it can be just really helpful for others to, to hear because it resonates. Yeah. And there were quite a few actually of, of people saying things like, I've just come out of hospital. 
And by the way, the reason why I ended up in that situation was, for example, because the doctor, the consultant said to me, I'd been sat down for too long every day and I developed deep vein thrombosis and then yada, yada, yada. So this is what I'm now going to do. Here's my plan for the rest of my life. You know, I've had my wake up call. This is what I'm now going to do. And there were quite a few stories like that over the last few years on LinkedIn, which I thought were really good to see because, because people need that. They need that shock to change. You know what I saw one yesterday that made me smile so much. I was scrolling through LinkedIn. I really appreciate LinkedIn nowadays, I have to say. And one picture stopped me um, in my scrolling. And it was a man with a baby sitting there on the floor, a really young one in, in their little chair. And I was I was just curious about the picture. And basically, he described his story that he is in his mid-50s. He has just become a grandpa. He's really proud of being this grandpa. And one thing he has realized or come to realize over the years was that he is unique in his personality in the way he is, as everybody else is. But he has never realized it and really lived into this uniqueness. He has always been told he is such a great leader who really cares about other people, but he just said, you know what, I'm just me. I do care about people. And over the years, I've come to show this. However, he was in, in organizations where there were people, and then he actually corrected himself saying, well, particularly one person who didn't like the person I was that much. So I found my own boundaries where I say, you know what, if I'm not accepted for the person I am, then that's not the right place for me. And now I'm enjoying being with my grandpa, uh, with my grandchild, and I will be ready when the right opportunity and the right environment for me comes. And it was written in such a beautiful way. I just get goosebumps again. And I said, yes, absolutely. You know what? Show up as the person you are and mm. be appreciated for this and bring all of this good stuff to the workplace because people need more real us. I don't need this pretense and hassle and so on and so forth. Let's really connect properly with all of our uniqueness. And, and, and I thought that was actually brilliant. It wasn't just a phrase that we, we type um, onto social media that uh, resonates with loads of people at the moment because that's what we hear about. No, it was a real story that built some proper human connection. And that gave me a lot of oxytocin, by the way. I had a real yeah. happiness flow yeah. literally inside of me. And that was inspirational. Yeah, but that, I mean, what's, that's one of the things we now know actually, isn't it? That yes, we think of oxytocin as the love drug and you get it when you hug another human being, but actually you can get it simply by helping. And that helping can simply be typing an email. He would have received oxytocin simply by having somebody say to him, that really helped. Yeah. The body would have gone, well, there you go. Have some oxytocin, yeah. <laughs> you know. There's, well done. There's your oxytocin for the day. Um, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And that, that, that's it. Real stories, authenticity. Uh, we all start work typically wearing a mask through fear. And, and when you think about a lot of psychologies that we experience and the saboteur psychology, psychologies, they all derive from fear, you know. And therefore, when you think about it, hang on a minute, I've been living my life, therefore, fearful. In other words, I don't want to be myself because if I'm myself, I won't be able to do the job or people won't like me in my role. So therefore, I'm going to wear this mask, super confident, the leader. This is the mask I'm going to wear because that's the one that responds. I get the best response from. 
for years, I don't mind saying this, but for years, I think I told you this on another podcast, I was referred to outside of work as Vodka Dave because people got used to me drinking vast quantities of vodka and becoming this very gregarious, happy, fun person where often crazy things would happen. And people wanted that. And because I got this response from others that genuinely liked that side of me, therefore, of course, I continued being that person. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would refer to myself in the third person. People would say to me, is is Vodka Dave coming out tonight? And and I'd go, yeah, I think he is. Yeah. You know, it it got to a ridiculous level. But that's the same, really, when you think about it in the working world. People show up not being themselves because at some point they've believed that by being themselves, then they're not going to be as effective or people won't like them in that in that role. Authenticity is key. It's hard to be your real self. Mm-hmm. Um, on my YouTube channel, I did uh, a, a challenge before I started my YouTube channel in this private group, and it was a 90-day video journey. And over 90 days, I presented a video every day. It didn't matter what the subject was. And the whole idea of it was getting used to being in front of a camera and revealing the real me. In other words, not being the person that we often are when we are in front of a camera. You know, we put the sort of the actor's mask on. So over 90 days, if you can imagine it, 90 videos, by the end of it, you've become yourself because you no longer care what you say, how you say it and who the person you are. You just, you've just revealed yourself. And that really helped when doing my YouTube, because then I could be the real me rather than the presenter me. I think if everybody tried that kind of idea, you know, in the working world, maybe that would benefit them too. I don't know. Yeah, but your videos often make me smile so much. I mean, if you haven't followed Dave yet, please do. Um, When you want to see him rocking through his kitchen and exercising literally in all corners of the house and showing you the the tips, how you can build in some movements into your very busy, busy day. So it's just brilliant and shows that indeed it doesn't take much time to simply get back into flow, to get moving and to do something for your own well-being, which is wonderful. In a real way, because I think a lot of people uh, in the influencing world portray this way of living that is unattainable for most. But I think it's really important to sort of show a real, that this is possible. You can build all this stuff into your life very easily. Everybody can do it. You don't really have an excuse and here's the way to do it. Rather than you need to go to the gym every day and spend an hour in there, you don't even need to go to the gym. In fact, what I teach, you don't even need any kit. You don't need to change into any different clothes, you know, unless you're going for a run, for example, and you're having a proper sweat on. Um, otherwise, there's things you can do that will take you a minute, two minutes. You do that enough time. You raise your heart rate three or four times a day. That will be the equivalent of you doing a hit exercise. Sold. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's one topic I want to touch on a little bit more with you and that we discussed in the pre-chat as well. And that indeed is anxiety, um, nervousness in particular. And I have just a few minutes ago given you this example of what I keep hearing, right? This pressure on goals, on achieving goals. But you hear it all over the news at the moment, waves of redundancies, hiring freezes, and people literally going exhausted now into this last phase of this year. Now, there isn't a quick fix either for that. I totally appreciate it. From your experience of breath work, for example, what can people do to calm down in those moments and to make sure they don't take all of their worries with them to bed? 
yeah, there's loads of things you can do. So going, uh, I mean, first of all, do consider how are you going to optimize your sleep? Because that will make that will play a big role when you think about accruing those stresses throughout the day. Our brain has this wonderful mechanism in sleep called REM. We all know about REM sleep, but that happens twice. If, if you have a good, healthy night's sleep, that happens twice in your sleep cycle. And in that REM stage, that's when the brain will accumulate all the experiences in the day and it will turn that into a narrative. In other words, a dream. And that's the healthy way of dealing with the stuff that you've been doing, that you've accumulated throughout the day, both positive and negative. If you've had too many negative experiences, the brain can't cope, which is why it wakes you up at two o'clock in the morning. And if it wakes you up at two o'clock in the morning, it's because it's saying too much stuff is going on. That you know, the, the, In other words, it genuinely believes you are now facing danger. So that's why it wakes you up. It's saying, hello, you better wake up because actually what's outside is really dangerous. So that's why we often wake up is because we, we haven't enabled an optimized sleep cycle. We do that by building into our day various practices. All of those practices, though, have to resonate with you. Again, you don't want to do this by force. You don't want to do it uh, because Dave said that you should do it and that will really help. You need to find something that works for you. Now, there's loads of breathing techniques. There's the box breathing technique. There's uh, dolphin breaths. There's you know, a whole load of different breathing techniques that will ease your autonomic nervous system and focus on your parasympathetic part of the nervous system. So you've got sympathetic, parasympathetic. Sympathetic is your uh, do, go, action part of the nervous system. That's the thing that increases your heart rate, increases your blood pressure. In fact, every time you inhale, you increase your heart rate and blood pressure. Every time you exhale, you decrease heart rate and blood pressure, which is why breath workers like me will say, simply do this. make that exhale at least double the length of your inhale you do that enough times that will calm you down box breathing is brilliant which is the inhale say for example doesn't have to be four seconds or four beats but let's say it is inhale for four beats hold for four beats exhale four beats hold four beats repeat i love and that one that's a simple one that actually not only calms you down but it also brings you uh, to a focused uh, state if you learn things that are inhale breath holds, so with dolphin breaths, what you're doing is you're inhaling, you're holding your breath, say, for 25 seconds, then you're exhaling, breathing normally for 30 seconds, then inhaling, holding your breath for 30 seconds, so increasing it by five seconds. Uh, and you repeat that three times. That will increase your carbon dioxide. When you increase carbon dioxide, that has a calming effect on the mind and the body. So again, something else to bring you back to a state of calm, relaxation. If you learnt various different Qigong practices, that will have the same effect. So rather than there being one thing that I would say everybody does, I would say, first of all, make your intention to build in two or three practices every day that will regularly rebalance your nervous system from that sympathetically derived, got to do, got to go, pressure, stress, to the opposite. And you do that sort of five, six times in the day. Some of the practices can be a minute long, two minutes long, and that accumulative effect will be enough for you to have an optimized sleep. 
because the problem we we typically have especially if we're working is that let's say we start the, the day off really well but then whilst we're driving to work somebody cuts us up and that it immediately affects us you know we go you can especially in car driving you know we get very triggered uh, and then we get to work, so therefore we're slightly off when we get to work. And then we have a conversation with somebody, and because we're slightly off already, we start seeing things and hearing things that are not quite there. In the sense that, what do, what do you mean by that? You know, what do you mean I should do this? You know, you you start responding irrationally. That then leads to something that might be an argument or close to. That then leads to the next meeting. Already, you're now in a really bad state, and this just continues so no wonder you get to the end of the day totally stressed totally you know out of whack if however you made a conscious decision of whilst in the car for example practicing long exhales or doing what i was doing this morning arming just you know i had a a two-hour workshop in leatherhead where i was told the attendees were all techies that they all wanted to hear the research about this stuff that i was teaching them to do And I was anxious on the way up because I thought, am I good enough for this? Do I have the research? Am I going to be able to convince them that this fluffy woo-woo stuff is good for them? Mm -hmm. So therefore, I made a conscious decision of two hours all the way there. I was bombing the whole journey. (laughs) By the time I got there, I got out of the car. I was floating and I was 100% confident nothing could have taken me out of that state. It didn't matter what they said, how they reacted. I was on fire. You know, I was totally zoned in. So let's say, you know, you go to work, make use of that time in the journey, not to listen to blooming Chris Evans or whoever. Switch off your radio. You don't need to listen to the news. Focus on yourself, being present, maybe breathing really slowly, maybe arming, whatever it is. Do something that gets you in the right state for work so that you're, you are present and much more rational, that you will react to given negative stimuli because every working day has a problem. Very rarely does a working day totally flow and everybody's really happy and bouncy and positive. You're going to get something that affects you. So do these practices that will allow you to become more resilient to those things. Then you will reduce anxiety then you will reduce the negative effects of stress. How did that workshop go? Really well, yeah. And I, um, all of my assumptions were incorrect. They were all totally open to this stuff. <laughs> I was so grateful uh, that they were. Um, and when I realized that in the first minute, I thought, ah, oh, okay, so that is going to flow today because they were all sort of wide-eyed, open. Yeah, what are we, what are we going to do today? And I was sort of warning them, saying, well, by the end, you're going to be on the floor doing some breathing exercise. <laughs> and at some point in the day, you're going to be standing up doing something that looks really silly. And they were not phased by that at all. So yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. I'm so glad that you said that. I'm teaching uh, some, some sort of stress-related um, workshops from time to time. And what we often talk about is the mind mm. and how our mind may get in the way i.e we hear something we receive information we don't know as to whether those information are actually true based on evidence and so on and so forth uh but we build up a story in our head already yeah how challenging it's going you know oh my god not good enough so the, the inner critic steps in and so on and so forth now we have choices you made the choice to um through the whole way fantastic and you arrived in a more flow state other people may not do that may not take a deep breath. Or what I like to do is say, you know what? I will be my, at my best. 
Yeah. And what other people think about it, I cannot influence, but let me focus on what's in my control. Yeah. Right. And usually that helps. And that is one point I really want to highlight here. The more we radiate positivity or a calm sense of being or whatever it is, it will have a positive impact on other people. And that applies to any situation. I give you one last example because your story just resonated so strongly with it. A former colleague of mine contacted me the other day and said, you know what, work is basically shit and I want to get out of my job, yada, yada, yada. But everything just feels negative and people don't like me here and so on. Can you tell me what I should be doing and where I could apply? Do you have any contacts? And I'm like, I'm not going to give you contacts at this point of time. Let's focus on how you can get into a state where you feel okay about yourself, first of all, again, you know, and think about that and focus on a different in a different way on how you feel about yourself, what you are really proud of. And then we can incorporate that in the way you speak about yourself and the value you add and connect completely differently with people. But why don't you take December, just have fun and show your kids, you know, have to crack. And uh, then let's chat in January, basically. Yeah, well done, you. Just didn't feel like, yeah, absolutely. Let's just connect with other organizations. So it's really important that you get into a state where you, and I highlight again, feel a bit more in flow with yourself. Yeah, I think I think actually people often leave a job not for the right reason. They purely think it's external. It's because of my boss. It's because of the nature of the work. But it might not always be that way. It could just simply be that you've gotten yourself into a state where you're not able to show up at work, where you're not able to function properly, where you're reacting improperly to certain situations. And maybe, as you say, you take a month off, you'll get back after the month and think, actually, this job isn't so bad. You know, and and that's the interesting thing, actually, isn't it? When you do the work on yourself, there's a reciprocal element to it. And it always serves you. It's never wasted time because the more efficient the, you are, the, the happier you are, the more the more resilient you are, the, the more optimized you are, then it has this reciprocal effect on those around you and they become better for it. Yeah. And that's both in work and out of work, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Before I let you go, I'm asking you the same question as last time. What is the one top tip you want to leave the audience with today out of all the wonderful tips you've already shared with us? I think it is it is that rather than seeking the next bit of inspiration, the latest quick fix, the latest hack, step back and think, How am I going to flow through today by making use of all these practices that I now already know that will greatly aid my psychology and my physiology? Because the problem is, I think we get inspired whilst in that that state of rush, of force, of uh, push. And therefore, we try to seek out these little things just that will give us a quick fix, you know, and and then we can get on with the next hour and then we need another quick fix. And then, you know, and I think it's better to be able to step away from all of this. And the best time to do that obviously is in the morning and think, okay, how am I going to get through today in a different way? How am I going to flow through today? What do I already know that if I just do it enough will greatly help? Because most of us know quite a few techniques, practices. We're just not doing them. We forget about them because we gave up. 
and and that's the tricky one isn't it to really manage your mind here and make sure that what you know what's actually good for you is something you practice yeah this is it daily practice commit to yourself intention this is really really key now isn't it you know what i want to thank you very personally because you gave me the kick in the butt in this conversation today to already kind of do not just kind of i'm going to do a few things differently from now on i really literally feel it very strongly in my body how i want to breathe differently again so thank you so much for it just this one conversation can make a difference now imagine you worked with dave on a regular basis what that could do to you so dave make sure you share with the audience again where they can find out more about you and all the good stuff you're doing Hmm. well thanks anyway first of all for the kind words And, and as we know this is reciprocal I can't believe it's three times, but anyway, so every single one, I've, I've loved these conversations. So thank you. I really appreciate your time and energy and allowing me on. So yeah, you can find me on my website, daveflorence.com, D-A-V-E, Florence, like the place.com. That's where you're, if you want to work with me, you can find everything on there, both either as a corporate or as a, uh, on a personal basis, one-to-one. But yeah, otherwise you can check out my YouTube channel, Evolution of Dave, and you'll find me as David Florence, for example, on LinkedIn. They're the main ones. I mean, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. But uh, I think for the purposes of this conversation, uh, those would be the correct places. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much as always, Dave. You have been um, wonderful. And thank you for joining us so early in the morning. And for everybody else, keep breathing, look after yourselves, and most importantly, you know, be be present and enjoy the here and now. So have a wonderful remaining week. Speak to you very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.